Thanks for listening to The Derivative. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. Continue to to use our tools to create portfolios that have, you know, stocks, bonds, currencies, commodities, energy, metals uh, in them, uh, identify how they should correlate and what will give us uh, the the best outcome and be mindful that we can hedge uh, equity exposure and and get long volatility uh, in the the short-term periods where that's very valuable. Uh, And we monitor it, right, live every day, all the time. Uh, and we look to see where the portfolio is performing and the correlation of the different assets in there. And then we rebalance accordingly. Uh, and so effectively, uh, as, as the portfolio starts to perform or underperforms, we look at the reasons behind that and the correlation to the other assets and we rebalance. Uh, and we can do that uh, as often as every day uh, or you know, every few days or every weeks, but to us, uh, the, the correlation of the assets into the portfolio uh, and how we identify the trend of the assets is, is a very important component. Hi, everyone. Happy December. Uh, I'm back in the upstairs office here, having completed my basement COVID quarantine. Everything seems to be back running pretty much as normal. Even got a haircut at the barber for the first time since March. Had been doing it on my own. But uh, enough about me. We've got a great pod for you today, and I'm excited to have a guest with deep expertise across both traditional and alternative assets. We've got Rob Stein from Astor Investment Management, where they take a data-driven analysis of what's going on now to provide investment strategies for the long haul. Um, we've got Rob's experience spans nearly three decades, and he's now leading the charge at Astra as the CEO. Uh, so we'll be getting into Rob's background and the beginnings of Astra, and then digging into the uh, strategy and mutual fund that they run uh, and that Astra is built upon. So thanks for joining us, Rob. Thanks for having me, and thanks for uh, that very complimentary introduction. No worries. Uh, and looks like you are not in the city. Where are you up in the northern burbs somewhere? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm hiding out up in the northern suburbs. <laughs> of Chicago, right? A fellow Chicagoan. It's been cold here this week. Winter's finally here. I don't like it. I, I, actually, if it was going to stay as warm as it had been the last few weeks uh, anymore, I would have started to get scared. <laughs> yeah, right. Of, the world really has changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and are you a Chicago guy through and through? Born and raised here? Yeah, north side. Uh, um, born in Chicago. Um, came... Uh, uh, yeah, born in Chicago, uh, went to University of Michigan and did some Wall Street stuff in New York, uh, came back and started uh, uh, what is now Aster uh, Investment Management. Uh, quick sidebar, what should they do with Harbach? Get rid of them or keep them going? I think they should get rid of them. And, and I was uh, at Michigan when, you know, right when he was getting his, uh, getting his beak wet. Yeah. And it is about the worst 
I've seen from a football season at Michigan or a couple of football seasons that it's embarrassing. It actually, it's so bad. I want it to get worse so that I can actually make fun of them rather than hope <laughs> the Cubs. And, and they had like highly recruited or highly ranked recruiting classes and everything. It's just kind of out of left field of like, what are they doing? I, heard some- I mean, it is coaching, right? It's a little bit of coaching, a little bit of bad luck. Uh, but the, I mean, they're being beaten by teams that they should at least look good. And Indiana is is a surprise this year. I mean, they're really lighting it up, and nobody expected that. Yeah, and I, but he's like the fifth highest paid coach in NCAA, and he's right. All the rest have won national championships. Uh, yes, you know what's interesting is coaches of the state university football teams are the highest paid employees of the state oh yeah (laughs) arbo makes more than you know any other state official crazy but when you got a hundred and six thousand paying uh ticket holders or in the past not this year right um so going back into the bio so you've authored two books right what were those so the first book was inside greenspan's briefcase uh if you remember back to the greenspan days uh you know he was kind of the first celebrity fed chair uh, I had worked for Paul Volcker, uh, so was kind of there during the transition from uh, whipping inflation now and, and, and Volcker uh, to, to the Greenspan era. Uh, my second book was called The Bull Inside the Bear. Uh, my first book was published by McGraw-Hill, uh, the second book by Wiley. Uh, Inside Greenspan's briefcase got, uh, got some exposure because the chairman uh, sat for the cover, and I don't know if you remember CNBC, yeah, like his, there was the whole thing on the, was it the size of his briefcase when he crossed the street? The briefcase the, indicator, yep, yep. yeah. So, Whether he was uh, going to raise or cut. Yeah, so I got tied into a, uh, a, 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 what do they call it now, a mime, a meme, a mem. Yeah, and Hampton Pearson used to be the guy, right, who would, but now it's so boring, now they telegraph it so much, like those were the days when you had some, you didn't know it was going to be said. So I, I'll tell you that, that that's an interesting point because that, that to me is a big difference. I remember when I was on uh, some of the trading desks back in the 80s that the Fed changed rates the Friday after Thanksgiving. And you used to have to be a Fed watcher and look at open market operations and all the boring stuff nobody wants to hear about. But you know, it was a guy on the desk who would yell out, Fed doing five-year reverse repos. And you're, you know. On the day after Thanksgiving? On the day after Thanksgiving, yeah. Wow. Now everyone's out of the office. That would that would be fun. Let's go back to those days. Um, good for trading. And what was it like? So you how you must have been pretty young when you're working for Volkler. Yes. Uh, so it was a, a, a first entry into uh, into economics and and real real life. I, I was pretty low on the on the totem pole. Yeah. Uh, you, He's you know, like I, six seven or something, right? Isn't he huge? Oh yeah, very tall, big stogie. Uh, gave us a lot of attention. Uh, I, I did. I worked a little closer with Cy Keen, who was the uh, president of the Chicago Fed, uh, and uh, you know a little bit of, uh, of of exposure to the New York Fed and the swap desk and and some of the committees. You ever seen that graphic of all the Fed chairs by height and rate? Like they all over time have gotten shorter, shorter, down to Yellen's like four or nine or something, right? And the rates have gone exactly with them down to zero. I uh, I haven't noticed it, but I, I have been told that presidents uh, are are generally taller than six feet. 
Yeah. And Fed chairs are go with their rates. Um, so what if bull inside the bear? What's the quick synopsis of that one? It's basically looking at uh, opportunities or things that, that don't correlate with bull markets and stocks or just the other category uh, that that life isn't just stocks and bonds. And if it is, asset allocation can make a difference. So it's um, it's it's written in some simple formats to get a understanding of it's just not bull and bear markets. What have you do? Would you recommend writing a book? I'm on like year eight of a three quarter finished book. I think it's different it now. Uh, I have a children's book coming out uh, called Spencer in the Stock Market. I think when when you would write a book a decade or so ago and you'd get a publisher and an editor, uh, and then there was a tour that you would take to uh, get your book higher in the catalog so that bookstores would order more of them. Yeah. Uh, it, it was very different, the process. Uh, now, uh, the process, I think, is just about your writing and, and how you think and what type of research you want to do. Uh, I, I don't think people are doing, you know, the chapter outlines and connecting uh, things and research like they did before. Uh, so it, it, I just it, heard uh, Scott Galloway. I don't know if you follow him at all, but um, he was he's written a few books. He does the podcast. He's basically said, I took all my blog posts or the last year of blog posts, the transcripts of all those, gave them to an editor, came back through, edited it and spun out a book in like two weeks. Yeah, just from all that content got re repurposed. It's pretty and cool. You, you don't need a, a publisher to get an, IS, uh, an ISDN number, and so uh, you you can you can write a book because you wrote a book, as opposed to you know reaching out to you and um, here's a topic, and we think that there's room in our uh, in in our um, inventory for a book yeah. like this. You 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 seem to know that subject. And, um, and so the children's book, Spencer's the name of your son, Spencer yeah. in the stock market. Yeah. What, what's the premise there? It's, it's basically, and the funny thing is you talk about eight years. Uh, um, I had this drafted when I was able to have some influence with my publisher to be a children's book when he was in the lower school and, uh, just ended up completing it during COVID. It's, it's basically a, uh, uh an introduction to stocks in the stock market for for kids you know a lot of lemonade stand type stuff and yeah um, but my wife's always like her dad was a broker at baird and did the lemonade stand it's like and then if you stocks you could sell ownership in your lemonade stand she's always it. like why would i want to do that so that's the thing that, on my lemonade stand i uh so of course so i have that example but i will tell you that uh after the financial crisis or actually maybe during it when people were telling or saying or scared that the economy uh, as we know it is over. And I said, you know what? I remember Adam Smith. And I remember that you had you know, division of labor, work for a profit exchange goods. So as long as you can go to the store and buy lemons, and as long as you could get somebody who will accept a wage to sell your lemonade, and as long as you could take the lemons and add water and sugar and make lemonade, the economy is not broken. And, and so if you have the ability to do those three things that, that Adam Smith talked about, uh, what, a century or two ago? The Economy the Invisible Economy. Hand, what, what's the name of that book? The, the Invisible Hand, yeah. Um, my son is only 10 or 12 or 11, somewhere in there. 
but back in the middle of March, I'm like, all right, this is time. And this app loved, I don't know if you heard of it, but it, you can kind of pick, um, you could go through all these themes of like, uh, video games or clothing or whatever. So he just picked a few themes. Um, I'm like, all right, it's time for you to buy some stuff, take some of your savings. So I got him to put his savings. He's up 63%. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm it's like, funny this, uh, they're never going to learn a real lesson. It's just like, oh, no, this is and, easy. and Spencer's friends, uh, my son, they're all playing with Bitcoin. Oh yeah. And, and they're, they're killing it. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, so-and-so made, you know, $200 today. And, uh, you know, oh, he sold it, but he's going to, it's going to go down. So he's going to buy it back. And it's just funny yeah. watching a bunch of, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds. Yeah. First world problem. So on top of writing all these books, Jen, you have a, a, a day job too, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, wow, you're making me look, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, tell us, tell us how you got, started um and how you founded aster so uh i founded a version of aster in in the 90s i uh i i left uh wall street i left new york i came back to chicago and uh our philosophy which we'll talk about of now casting uh, the economy to make investment decisions uh, was something i was writing about and talking about um you know gotten some some exposure and, and Wall Street, doing, were you a, a broker or what were you, what was your role? I was managing, I was managing director of, of proprietary trading. Uh, the last place was Barclays, BZW. And yeah. the, the prop group is the money the bank cares about. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, you know, the, Used the, to. Yeah. And um, um, we had a, you know, we, we did a good job. Uh, and that was the days where you loosely followed some game plan. A lot of, you know, hey, I think it's going up. Let's buy some and let's buy some more. You remember those days. Yeah. All right. Uh, I love the example of a guy who was at a, a camp city maybe or JP Morgan. He's like, when you see those things that they've never hadn't had a losing day in three months, he's like, here's how that works. He's like, we're on the trading desk. The head of credit comes in and is like, hey, we need to hedge uh, $4 billion in euro dollar uh, rate. And they're like, here, they're front running their own <laughs> unit of the bank who's getting into things. So I'm like, okay, that makes a little more sense. But yeah, I mean, I, I, our department didn't do that. But I, yeah. I, I, I know about that. The, the, uh, the, the interesting thing, <laughs> this is before a lot of technology and like an economic number would come out and one of the traders would look over and go, hey, is that good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, do their do their thing. We, we focused on currency, currency swaps a lot. Uh, and there was some hedging there, you know, there was some, uh, some tailwind on some of the things that we did. Uh, but, uh, you know, the 90s were pretty good, came back to Chicago, uh, was focusing on, on the philosophy and how it could be implemented uh, in asset allocation. And, you know, it, it, it was this, you know, one person embraces it and they tell two people, then you get on a, a, a platform, uh, then, a, you know, a firm like AG Edwards, and then they get bought by uh, Wachovia. And so now you've got more people to tell your story. And, and yeah. uh, um, you know a way a, a way a, a business forms you know and it's it's been decades but we we really tried to keep it simple and discuss how you can identify when the economic environment is ripe for uh, more risk assets or you should be careful and we can't predict uh, what what we think is going to happen we could just be prepared and 
you know, for example, uh, our, our models were reducing beta uh, coming into 2020. Now, nobody could have predicted the pandemic uh, or uh, I'll go back to, you know, 2008. But you could see environments that if something unforeseeable happens, it'll have an outsized impact on markets. And I contend that the same thing can happen with a different economic background and have a completely different outcome. Uh, so the mortgage back, market backing yeah. up like so you said i'm going to take some of this knowledge some of this prop experience and start my own firm where i'm going to help out uh investors with a with a product that's using some of this knowledge yeah and it was exactly and it was right around the town time etfs uh started to get popular so you were able to express your uh your economic analysis easily you didn't have to pick you know 20 stocks and then sell 20 stocks uh, so that made it easier to um, create an asset allocation strategy, uh, did okay in 01, did okay in 08. Uh, and then we started creating additional product around that same thesis. Uh, four cycles, expansion, peak, contraction, trough, uh, risk assets perform very specifically in each one of those uh, economic cycles and uh, identifying it is better than forecasting it. And so the, the goal of the firm the whole time was create product and not necessarily be a wealth advisor and, and help end clients? It, it, was, it was product focused. It was a way to implement our, a philosophy. A product came along with that philosophy and then deciding who would consume it. And it started out being wealth managers, wealth advisors, financial advisors. And then we continued to create the business that was structured for, for those end users. It seems like a great time to be in that model, right? I feel like the wealth advisors have become more of relationship managers than anything, right? They're the ones out on the golf course and doing, right? The old model 30 years ago was, hey, I'm your buddy. I'm going to go golfing with you and I'm going to pick out the stocks that I invest for you. Right. Nowadays, those seem to be bifurcated and it's like, hey, I'll, I'm a friend. I'll smile. I'll take you out to dinner. But I've got pros either in-house or we hire outside pros that do the actual investment stuff. Right. And so the skill, I mean, that's a great point. And the skill is evaluating those investments. Uh, yeah. Are you getting enough risk assets? Are there alternative products uh, that, that fit? Um, I'll, I'll adjust that a little bit based on, you know, age, height, weight, eye color, whatever, whatever it right, is. Right. And um, so that's their function. So circle back, you gave me the quick elevator pitch and I skipped over it, but the um, the troughs shifting in and out of risk assets, give me the that ethos again of, of the overall strategy of the firm. So the, the philosophy is the Esther Economic Index, okay. uh, the AEI. Uh, it, it is available uh, as a free app in the App Store, Esther Research. But the, the general philosophy begins with identifying the, the economic cycle. And we do that in a very uh, robust way. We aggregate a lot of economic data. And that's your of, uh, sorry, of identifying it instead of forecasting it. Right. So if it's raining out and I say take an umbrella, uh, that's much better than saying uh, it might rain today. Maybe yeah, take 50 percent chance. Yeah. And, you know, a, a 20 plus trillion dollar economy uh, stays in the trend for a long time. And one of the things I'm proud of is uh, not so much highlighting the times we got defensive, but really the times where we didn't get defensive. Uh, the economy was not contracting. Uh, something happened to cause a short-term fluctuation in the market. And if the economy is healthy enough, 
it generally will uh, recover in, in, in a time frame that's um, uh, you can stomach and, and the trend continues. So uh, I, I'm just as proud of those as I am the zigs and the zags that we made. But um, the, the real thing I, I, I think I wanna highlight is how we've taken the economic fundamentals and, and created models around it. Uh, it's the product that came from that that is uh, uh, something I'm, I'm really proud of. It's our global macro product, which uh, what we're talking about is only a piece of. Uh, that philosophy runs our, our core strategies, our core equity risk strategies. Mm -hmm. Our global macro product uh, tries to uh, look for opportunities in areas that aren't readily uh, available to the average advisor and average investor. And so talk about that a little bit because global macros had a reputation, call it of, uh, you know, you can think of, uh, now his name's escaping me, but um, who's the British guy everyone hates? The um, Soros, right? Okay. Famous yeah. global macro kind of investor, I'm big, good. huge yeah. bets, big, huge payoffs. Right. Um, the last 10 years, we've kind of shifted from that like famous discretionary global macro trader to right. systematic global macro. Right. So delineate those. You're, I'm sure you're talking systematic global macro. Well, we are. Um, and, you know, celebrity uh, portfolio managers, yeah. uh, cer certainly a, an era that you and I both remember. Uh, so we, we have um, some highly researched uh, models that, that generate what we have been able to substantiate by both uh, what I would call science and math. Uh, so as an example, uh, if you do something a thousand times uh, and a, a certain outcome uh, comes up uh, 700 times, uh, you're gonna tell somebody just keep doing that uh, yeah. you know, as many times as you can. Uh, but if you have a science behind it, for example, if I take a glass of water and I put it in a freezer and drop the, the temperature below 32 degrees, uh, it'll turn to ice. Uh, a liquid will turn to a solid, and you can take a look at the uh, at the hydrogen and the oxygen, uh, and and have a scientific reason of why that'll occur every time. Uh, so we've combined um, both science uh, and math, if you will, uh, to create a process uh, that we we do repeatedly on a lot of little things all the time, every single day. So whether it's uh, currencies and and metals. Uh, commodities and, and non-US fixed income or asset allocation, which is uh, a part of it as well. Uh, no reason to not invest in stocks and bonds when they're the best performing uh, asset class. And we rebalance it regularly uh, for correlation and performance. And part of the rebalancing is identifying the strategies that are underperforming uh, and allocating to the ones that are uh, performing better. Uh, and so uh, I, I think that is also something unique uh, and, and also um, being able to identify the periods where stocks and bonds might be uh, the place to get your, your return. So how do, you, how do you handle that from getting totally out of balance of, right? If you just keep allocating to the winners and stocks have been the huge winner, uh, like say 2017, you, you didn't want to be anywhere else except stocks. Do you let it go? fully into stocks or are no. there limits to how much can be in each bucket? Yes, of course there, there's limits uh, and we can go from the min to the max of the limits. Uh, but another important thing when creating a global macro product uh, is not just diversification and correlation. Uh, everybody will tout that. Uh, and, and that's nice. I mean, diversification 
uh, of positively sloped assets has a, uh, a real nice impact on a portfolio. But we, we look at correlation to volatility. Uh, and we have uh, components of our model that get long volatility, if you will, uh, on periods of time that we have identified where volatility and risk is greater. And we use that to hedge uh, equity exposure anywhere from 20 to 100% of it. Uh, it, it was doing that in, in March. Uh, in, in March, there were opportunities in the energy market. And keep in mind, we could go both long and short. It doesn't use a lot of leverage, so we have staying power. Uh, and and what, what, how are you reflecting those volatility trades in VIX ETFs or in options? Or you're saying it, you'll go into energies? Or I got confused there for a second. How how do you um, reflect the VIX the uh, volatility trade? So we use futures in this portfolio along with ETFs, and we will buy. Uh, VIX futures. Okay. We will go short S and P futures, and we establish a a long VIX correlating long position. volatility yeah. trade. Yeah. All right, but but it's um, tactical, or it's right. It's not always on, or it would bleed to death. So it's it, it's, it's when the overall model says, "Hey, this we could it's be heading historic, in. and it, it's short term in nature. You know, they're on from one to to three, four, five days. Uh, historically, it's been on about 15, 12, 15% of the time. Uh, so, you know, generally speaking, volatility is a negatively sloped asset. Uh, so being long, it naturally is probably not a good idea. And as a traditional investor, you're naturally short volatility. So yeah. uh, uh, being able to get long at certain times has, has a lot of benefit. Uh, and then talk a little bit more about the diversification within there. So you've got equities, bonds, what else is packed in there? Uh, currencies, commodities, metals, energy. And um, we can go long and short. We have a, a value uh, analysis of, of these products. And what I like about the value analysis, and it looks at the shape of the curve and demand, uh, is the research and the data required to uh, identify uh, the, the, the demand and the value of something is not readily available. Uh, it's expensive, it's hard to calculate, and I believe that that is a advantage, right? Everybody could put up a chart of the 50-day moving average uh, and, and decide that the 48-day is better. Okay, yeah, yeah. yay. But not everybody can get the kind of data uh, of various uh, demand components or true value of uh, either the yield curve or a, a commodity or energy uh, contango uh, discount premium. And there's a lot of information in, in that. Oh, can I push back on you there for a sec? Because it seems in today's world, almost everyone can get that data. So is it the ability to get it or it's just that you have all these different pieces of data that you're proprietary putting together in the unique way? Yeah, so I, I didn't mean that we have some sort of secret source. source. Yeah, yeah. At the Department of Agriculture, uh, I, I was just implying that um, it's not a mouse click away, uh, and then analyzing it is, you know, like, like I said, the 50-day moving average or a moving average crossover. Everybody who trades probably understands that. Even more sophisticated data like RSI and stochastics are also more readily available. If you ask somebody to calculate it, they probably couldn't, but if they wanted to go get the formula for it, they could. Um, and so this is more of um, uh, less 
uh, a, a little bit more cumbersome to get the data and analyze it. it, it right. I but it's not, it's not as cumbersome as like satellite photos of target parking lots and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, we don't need a drone to get the data. The data is out. The data is out there. You just have to buy it and aggregate it and uh, mine it in a certain way. And so can you give an example of one of the asset classes that that analysis triggered to be included? Uh, so uh, oil, uh, energy, uh, and to a certain extent, the shape of the curve in fixed income, um, which the, the data there is a little different. Uh, supply and demand for commodities uh, with different months of maturity. Okay, so Being that'll tell you. Either, so that'll tell you either to be at the top or bottom of your um, range for that allocation, or if yes, or if the trend is sustainable or not. Um, you know, it's a, it, it, it could be a confirmation of a trend. And while many people might be looking at, you know, some maybe momentum and I'm not commenting on whether those things are, are good or not. Right. Uh, it's just our way of, of defining whether a trend is sustainable or not. And so I'm glad you mentioned trend. So global macro sometimes gets lumped in with trend following managed futures. Can you uh, differentiate the program from kind of classic trend following momentum based uh, managed futures strategies? So, uh, sure, we, we do use futures uh, and we do try to identify trend uh, and identify if there's momentum in the trend and how, how could you not when you're, yeah. when you're, when you're trading. But um, it's also how we build the efficient portfolio with all the assets and how they're correlating and performing uh, together and how you identify the persistence of the trend. Uh, and then how you position the portfolio for uh, expected risk in, in the portfolio. So talk to me a little bit of, uh, you mentioned the correlation, how that plays a role in the strategy construction or in the, which assets you're in at which times. Right, so that's a very important part of what we do. Uh, so we, we build the portfolio uh, and we monitor it, right? Live every day, all the time. Uh, and we look to see where the portfolio is performing and the correlation of the different assets in there. And then we rebalance accordingly. Uh, and so effectively, uh, as, as the portfolio starts to perform or underperforms, we look at the reasons behind that and the correlation to the other assets and we rebalance. Uh, and we can do that uh, as often as every day uh, or you know, every few days or every weeks. But to us, uh, the, the correlation of the assets into the portfolio uh, and how we identify the trend of the assets is, is a very important component. And so I'm thinking back to like July of 07, stock market was rallying, commodities were up huge, right? I think oil, that's when oil was at like 135 or something. Yeah. Um, so take me through that scenario. So both, both assets are rallying the correlations were increasing between those two. So what would you do in that scenario? So, um, so let's assume we were long one of those assets and short the other. Uh, and so the correlation is staying consistent uh, and we would have it on a ratio that um, was looking at trend and momentum so that it would be accretive. Uh, and then if that started to, so uh, let, let me back up a little bit. It wouldn't just be two assets. So uh, yeah. we look at, uh, the three or four that you named, uh, we would be long, two, short, three, or some version of that. Okay, so in my brain, I was thinking you're long everything and looking right. 
if the correlations get higher, you're going to start peeling things off. No, no, no. We would we'd build a portfolio um, based on a positive expected return uh, of of assets, uh, and and we would look at the correlation. Uh, in the example you gave, uh, the negative performing uh, position, which would be the short, would get smaller and smaller okay. uh, until the positive position was at its maximum level. Uh, and then as the correlation changed, which would probably be when, when one or both of those reversed course, then the position would come down. And since we don't use a lot of leverage, uh, we're, we're rarely forced to sell a position. We, Got it. And, but in that scenario, you wouldn't be short energies when it goes from 60 to 135, would you? No, no, we wouldn't. But we, we might be- or, or you don't even look at it that way. It's how it fits into the- We, we might be short energy from 60 to 70 while we're long gold from 1,000 to 1,200. But I like where you're going here. So you could be, hey, I'm long these three assets. I'm short these two assets. It's a strategy that looks at lots of assets and the correlations between them in order to create an optimal portfolio every day. Uh, and optimal portfolio is a portfolio. It's not long gold, short silver. It, it's the portfolio that gives you the best outcome uh, that, that we believe is, is available from the assets that we trade. And then what's the, so that might be long 20 assets, short five or something like that. What's the max? Can yeah. it be all long, all 40, short zero? Uh, no, we wouldn't do that. Um, it's, it, it, it depends, right? Uh, I, I can send you the pitch book, but uh, zero to 30 on some, zero to 10 on, on, on others. Uh, the volatility hedge depends on your equity exposure. Uh, you know, non-US bonds has some connection to uh, what your US uh, stocks and bonds look like. So, yeah. so that, I think that's the big takeaway for me of, right, most CTAs, trend followers, or global macro, they're kind of looking at things trade by trade. Right. right. Of like, hey, this copper just broke out. I'm going to risk down to the 200 day moving average and I'm going to ride it for as long as it goes. And it seems you're telling me, like, I'm not viewing copper as a, a standalone trade. I'm viewing that how does it fit into the overall portfolio? Does it add positive expectancy? Does it not? Um, can we go short it and act as a hedge to some of the other trades we already have on? Right. So, so, I mean, that, that's a great analysis, right? But we will evaluate copper uh, on its own. Uh, and then we will look at it uh, as its correlation and contribution to the portfolio. Right. So step one, individual market, is it triggering a trade? Step two, how does it fit into the overall portfolio? Right. And and, it- right. And we look at that by looking at trend and value. And value we talked about could be differences in the curve, differences right. in, you go all the way down to like cost of production on some of the commodities? To uh, an extent. To an extent, all right. And I was gonna say, if you just pull it up, uh, the symbols GBLMX or Correct. GLBMX? GBLMX. GBLMX, so just pull it up on your Koi fin or Y charts or whatever you use in- uh, Morningstar, play- yeah, any of them. Yeah, put AQR uh, managed futures program on there, and you'll quickly see they're not doing uh, classic trend following. Yeah, and I I I, I hate to talk about uh, if we're doing well or not. I I, I think there's <laughs> you know there's a uh, not jinx factor, but 
Uh, we did win the, the Lipper Refin Award uh, this year for last year. We were the top performing fund in our in our category. Uh, so we're, we're proud of that. Um, we're, we're ranked well in the one, three, and five year. Uh, but, uh, you know, do, do your analysis and, and yeah. see what, uh, what, what you think, Com um, especially like compared to the indices that you just talked about, whether it's CTA or global macro or. Right. And I think most people kind of just lump global macro in with CTA and then they're, the new index for CTA is just looking at AQR's, you know, managed futures <laughs> program. Like forget the other indices. That's become the de facto one. Well, that might change soon because they. Those, those guys are smart, right? The, the super the smart. Guys. And so, I think but, they would say just this is just plain vanilla managed futures. This is you know you're getting the beta of managed futures there. Uh, yeah, and Cliff's written a lot of papers that are uh, that are incredibly interesting. Uh, so there's there's a lot of research behind that. But uh, what, what we try to do is create a portfolio of assets that have a positive expected return, uh, that have a correlation to them that we rebalance to to uh, try to maintain, uh, that we, we don't use a lot of leverage so we can um, um, be confident that we have it right without getting shaken out. Uh, and, and so, did, yeah, so talk a little bit of, what is it going to look like? It's going to hold positions longer than a traditional trend follower or shorter? Do you have any idea on that? Well, there's multiple uh, ways of, of doing it. So I, I told you about the value. Uh, we have trend, we have uh, asset allocation, and we have equity hedged. Uh, so um, we could be very quick uh, if what we're looking at uh, um, suddenly is not what we thought. Uh, but we also will stay with something. Uh, that our indicators and our analysis uh, feel that the the expected return is is worth the risk, and we'll 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 stay with it. So, uh, short answer, you know, from uh, perhaps a day or two uh, to several weeks or longer. Yeah, and then um, how would you contrast it with risk parity? So, risk parity is its own animal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and while you, you know you, we can have a whole conversation about you know risk risk parity and and what it's supposed to accomplish and how people can now you know break that into subcomponents, uh, this this is asset allocation with diversified uh, assets that that aren't stocks and bonds. Uh, it's looking at 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 the trend based on on value. It's looking at uh, allocation that you can. Uh, adjust on a on a very timely, if not daily, manner, uh, and and rinse and repeat all all of these things simultaneously every day. And so we're talking about um, all these other alternative strategies. Give me some of your thoughts, right? Like people have been saying, now is the time for alternatives for ten years with a straight face. And it hasn't quite panned out. So um, you were saying offline now is the time for alternatives. How do you, how do you convince people that's the right thing to say when it's they've been wrong for so long? Right. So um, you know, first, it's alternatives a large category. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you know, to the extent that there haven't been huge trends in um, some of the things that alternatives uh, like to trade. Uh, right. I, I, I guess I'll interrupt you and say we could start there and just say, are you a true alternative or are you just equity 
in in alternative clothing? Uh, I, I would say we're we're true alternative. Um, we're not beta huggers. Right. I think that's been most of the problem for a lot of people who got into alternatives and found out in the end, like, well, this wasn't so alternative. You know, I was trading just a, equities in a different way, not yeah. trading different things. So we were flattish, maybe up a little bit in the first quarter of 2020. Um, and, you know, that was in an environment where equities didn't do very well, if you recall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we, um, you know, we also made money in the in the second quarter when equities were doing were doing well. Uh, so we you know we think that what we do is a little different. Uh, but I, I guess I haven't heard anybody say that what we do is the same thing that those guys are doing. Yeah. Uh, but to to answer your specific question, um, I do think that there's been a multi-decade period of um, asset allocation, stocks and bonds have had a tailwind. Uh, a lot of technical reasons, a lot of economic growth reasons why I think that's the case. Uh, we were talking offline about a 30-year uh, bull market in bonds, uh, and everybody's called the, the bottom in rates, uh, gee, as long as I can remember. And um, I, I think that that cycle very well might be changing. Uh, rates oscillate. Uh, they go from one to where'd they get up to 18? I don't, you know, back then. And yeah. then 18 back to one, like it literally was a full trip, took a half a century, uh, but it was a full trip. And it's not at all, a it wouldn't at all be surprising to me if that round trip continued now uh, back in that direction. I'm not calling for 18% rates, <laughs> right? In fact, I'm not even calling for where rates are going. I'm just saying that the time for them to oscillate back the other way is right around now, uh, based on Fed policy, policy changes, uh, the way that we have funded and uh, the relief programs and, and the Fed's balance sheet um, uh, from the pandemic, leftover residual for what they had done in the great financial crises. Uh, and so that pendulum shift, I think, will make other assets that did well when rates were rising in the 70s and 80s uh, happen again. Uh, and whether it's, it's yeah, like copper and com copper in commodities, inflationary trade kind of inflationaries, uh, uh, supply and demand uh, products, uh, fixed income products that will have a, a trend, uh, whether it's a yield curve trend or a currency trend that's impacting a particular non-US fixed income instrument. Uh, but, but I think that we are entering into an environment where, um, I don't wanna just say trends are gonna work, but where a combination of, of uh, asset aggregation uh, will, will produce a positive benefit uh, that we haven't had the luxury of, of, of being in that environment over the last, uh, couple of decades. Right. Well, we had the, it was an inverse, right? So the rates were all going down, 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 but the, the instruments you're talking about weren't kind of trending along with it, right? They were kind of acting on their own accord. Now, if rates move up there, that's going to be the main story in commodities and in inflationary um, assets. That's what you're saying, right? Well, yeah, because um, the 60-40 portfolio has done well. Uh, people have done well uh, being long bonds and long stocks, 
and and I think the way that a trend follower or a trader uh, would would trade that would not be the typical buy and hold. You know, keep in mind uh, in, in institutional type products, you have the funding cost, uh, you know, holding stocks versus uh, yeah. dividend carry. Shorting bonds is also very difficult. It's expensive. Uh, so the yield curve comes into play. So from a trading perspective, uh, it, it hasn't been a great environment. What, um, a few, so a few things to unpack there. One, I want to, my view is rates will never go back up because the economy is so built now upon low rates, right? Like it would immediately kill almost every piece of the economy. Um, so how do you, how do you get from here to there? And so, we're not even talking 18%, right? If, if rates were seven and a half percent two years from now, I feel like mortgages would completely dry up. Well, they, I think they said that in the late 70s and the 80s, right? So yeah, um, really. I, I, I think that the financial markets will look at, you know, uh, the inflation adjusted rates. So the Fed has said, and I take them at their word, that they're going to keep short term rates uh, very, very low for a very, very long time. And so they can control that. I believe that. Um, but then you have certain things that are occurring, uh, like the Fed swap line to help keep LIBOR uh, in place. Uh, and it's unlimited. Uh, and it's to uh, you know, central banks around the world. Uh, how long can they do that? Uh, a long time, but probably not forever. Uh, and so you might get something that, that comes out of whack in the next you know, two, three years uh, with LIBOR. The long-term end. So what if they're, they're offering extra basically U.S. taxpayer balance sheet in order to keep LIBOR suppressed and in line with the U.S., you're saying? Uh, yeah. And, and if you look at the, the swap lines, they've been very, very large for a very long time uh, to help do that. I don't know if, uh, if anybody's as uh, nerdy as I am to watch open market operations, but about a year or so ago, uh, the overnight market went crazy. I think rates went up to double digits for, for a day. Um, and so I, I'm not saying that we're going to enter into a period where the mechanism is broke, uh, but I do think there will be some stress. But, but really, it's the long end. Uh, the Fed doesn't have the same control on it. Uh, yeah. The supply is going to be increased drastically, $3 trillion. Um, it's going to have to compete with other assets. Uh, in order to do that, you're going to get a natural um, higher interest rate environment. And the Fed, which can buy you know, 40, 50, 60% of, of uh, treasury auctions, uh, can't be a free lunch zero-sum game. It's going to have to come out some exit somewhere. Now, uh, I don't want to talk about Venezuela and devaluation of currency and monetizing. Go ahead, talk about yeah. uh, and monetizing. But we will have some version of that, I believe. Uh, and and I, I believe that while you talk about not being able to sustain, uh, you know, rates of four, five, six percent, uh, if it makes your debt cheaper, if you pay your debt back uh, in in dollars that have a uh, uh, less of a buying power, so more of them. But the problem is everyone's trying to do that at the same time, right? So if we were the only country in the universe and we, you know, against a vacuum, we could perhaps do that. But when everyone's trying to kind of devalue their currency to get out of their debt load, how do you, how do you win that game? Right, so I'm, I'm not sure it happens at the same time. Um, yeah. And you have other economies that uh, have better balance sheets than the U.S. Uh, maybe they're smaller, but uh, some of the emerging market economies uh, have better balance sheets. So um, you will have a disruption globally. Uh, you will have uh, perhaps a, a, a global currency 
uh, effective devaluation. Um, and you, you might see, um, you know, certain uh, acceleration in particular currencies or fixed income assets that have both been uh, devalued. But uh, if the ratio of dollar to yen uh, just declines proportionately, you won't you won't recognize it as much, but you will have a similar. Uh, Do you think similar. we're seeing some of that with the huge rally in stocks right now? Like, are we right? It feels to me like we're getting into funny money kind of place where, okay, this is just, you know, the values don't matter anymore. We're just going higher and higher, which makes me, you know, that is inflationary. Like you're seeing inflation in stock prices for sure. Yeah, Jeff, that's that's a, a, a great point, right? It's, so it's showing up uh, in stocks uh, very quickly. Uh, and, you know, is 40% really 40%, right? What's the buying yeah. power that going to be? Um, and you also see a tremendous interest rate differential between the yield on stocks versus the yield on uh, fixed income. Uh, and so as long as that stays at the levels that are historically high, uh, I can see demand for stocks being massive. And we've rallied so far. Uh, so I, I, I totally get the math in March and April. Uh, right, you hold something for 10 years and you get you know 20% head start, why not? Yeah. Uh, but I think you will get to a point where the, the yield, because of how much the stocks have rallied, uh, is, is gonna imply more risk. And if you get a couple of tick up in rates uh, on just the 10 year or even the, the 20 or 30 year. I'd say, why am I taking this risk? Just plow it back into the 10 year. Right, and you could probably draw a picture, right? You could probably say, uh, this is where it's gonna happen. It's about 200 to 160 basis points right now. Uh, and and you, can, you can draw a map. And, and so I think that that's gonna occur. Uh, I, I'm quite bearish on, on long interest rates. Uh, and so I think that occurs sooner than later. Uh, and I think that that is not the beginning of a financial crisis. It's the beginning of a digest. A reckoning. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then from there, a reset. Fed policy, central bank policy uh, is going to be the determining factor of whether we um, have a foundation that we figure out the new game plan, the new economy sort of uh, acts like the cotton gin did when everybody was employed in the agro industry, or we we muck it up and uh, well, well, the Fed would love it, right, to reload the gun, so to speak. Well, I mean, look, they're out of out of bullets, pushing on a string, all those cliches. Now, like if they could somehow over the next couple of years reload the gun. What happened after the pandemic of 2018, 2019? We had something called the Roaring Twenties, and how did that end? Yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, we're smarter. We we know things we didn't know then, but it would not be surprising to see. I think we know things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and let me bring it back. So everything you're saying right now, at the same point, you don't care, right? Your model doesn't care. You don't, uh, you don't have to be right to make money, right? So that's the beauty of it, of like, here's what you think might happen, but the models are going to do what they do uh, great, regardless. Great Great, great point, right? So, you know, you don't want to predict something that you might get wrong and then predict what, what trade you're going to have on because of that. Uh, we are going to follow our process. Uh, we, we are going to continue to, to use our tools to create portfolios that have, you know, stocks, bonds, currencies, commodities, energy, metals uh, in them, uh, identify how they should correlate and what will give us uh, the, the best outcome and be mindful that we can hedge uh, equity exposure and, and get long volatility uh, in the in the short term periods where that's very valuable.
And so even if you're wrong, right, of like, hey, this is all the wrong rates stay at zero for 15 years, like it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to your portfolio. Uh, the portfolio that we create in GBLMX, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, we, we have um, our, our tools have opportunities uh, even in that environment. Uh, we don't need a, uh, a hyperinflationary period to, to make money. Uh, in fact, John Eckstein, the CIO, would probably suggest that they, they don't correlate in our products. Yeah, I listened to one of your uh, podcasts with you and him, and I, I, fe- I felt some tension over the inflation where he's like, he was kind of like, here we go. Rob's going to get on his inflation horse. Yes. And, uh, you know, the investment committee, it's, it's sometimes nice to disagree. For uh, sure. I, I am very concerned about inflation uh, over the next several years. Uh, some of the other members uh, see a concern over uh, disinflation or even deflation. So we, we, we disagree, but we're not rolling a dice and, and you know, majority rules on that opinion and making trades. We have yeah. models and, and uh, they will put the positions on that, that are appropriate for what our indicators are saying. And then how do you view kind of the basis risk, I would call it, of right of like I'm putting, I'm buying GLBMX to, you know, I like the, it's going to give me exposure to equities. It's going to give me this different asset allocation. Plus, it's going to give me some inflation hedge potential um, because it can go into all those markets. So how do you view that basis, right? You don't have a mandate. You're not buying tips. You're not just going to track inflation. Uh, You're just going into these separate markets that may rally with inflation. So how do you kind of square that? um, If inflation happens, will these markets also happen, so to speak? Right. No, and and that's a great point, right? It's, you know, if this uh, which is 50-50, uh, will that happen, which is 50-50. So, yeah. uh, you know, I want to clarify that the the equity uh, allocation component of it is just a silo like anything else. Yeah. Uh, it's not a stock portfolio with these things around it. Uh, right. It's just a silo that has a hedge component to it as well. Uh, and these are like 25% buckets, roughly? What's the rough? It depends, right? It, it, it depends. Uh, and, you know, if we drill deeper, we can get more specific on, on the max mins of each of the categories. Um, but if inflation perks up, like I think it will, uh, it is possible that the asset classes that we uh, trade do not correlate with it, but we will identify inflation separately, or I will, from what our models will have our portfolios do. Uh, we're not gonna be able to say, Rob, you, you get a black mark, because we didn't have the inflation you were looking for, and darn, you were going to get long tips and name something, no. uh, and that didn't pan out. Uh, you know, you're in the penalty box. Uh, <laughs> my view on monetary policy, inflation, um, excess supply of 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 debt, uh, of what we, you and I were talking about, helicopter money, which I'm calling mailbox money, uh, is impact on on buying power has uh, very little to do with what our models will look at every single day, uh, all the time in a, a robust, repeatable way. Right. What, um, I had two thoughts. I one that, right, if I invested in tips to hedge against inflation, and here in Chicago, my property taxes go up, my private school tuition goes up, and my healthcare costs go up, like, the, and the tips didn't move, 
right? So there's a disconnect between people investing all this stuff and their actual inflation they feel. Um, I don't have a good solution for that. And then my- um, I like tips. What's that? I like tips. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't, in that scenario, they don't help, right? Like there's no, uh, I need a tip on just my personal inflationary pieces. Right. Uh, and that, that's been a big argument, right? Everybody's uh, inflation uh, index is, is different, you know, an 80 year old guy and a 30 year old guy. But uh, I, I, I believe from how I look at inflation, uh, generally driven by wages, uh, generally driven by uh, um, more money chasing fewer goods, um, that is what, so you have your personal and Joe has his, but at some point they're going to converge, uh, probably require uh, people asking for higher wages and the cycle starts. Right. Um, we could talk about this stuff all day. I'll just ask one quick one because we're both in Chicago here. What do you, and this is kind of counter to your thing of people demand higher wages, like people here are just moving, right? They're just leaving. So they're not demanding higher wages. They just leave. So I feel like as long as the country has this tax arbitrage or, uh, right, they can go somewhere else and make more money by having the same wage, uh, especially now with remote work and all that. So how do you, does that weigh into any of your personal thoughts on the inflation? Um, well, I don't know about inflation specifically, uh, because it'll be, uh, inflation will be, or not inflation will be yeah. imported, if you will. Uh, you know, somebody moves and they're making more money, they might buy more things that help, you know, your economy. But I do think that from a uh, demographic and, and social environment and the ability to get a city uh, to have all the pillars it needs will make it more challenging. Chicago's a great city. Uh, it has one of the, you know, top handful of, uh, of fresh water right at its yeah. door. Uh, a lot of fresh water is needed. Uh, it's got, you know, a couple of unbelievable universities. It's got culture and museums that go back, you know, a century. Uh, a lot of smart people live here. A lot of hardworking people live here. So there's a, uh, we, we could talk about the exodus because of taxes, but I can counter that with a lot of things that uh, will, will help a city like Chicago figure it out and maintain. Uh, so, uh, right, it stings. Uh, and some people are running away from that, but uh, I, I do think that there's a lot of resources here uh, to, to counterbalance that. Yeah, it just se seems to me that whole dynamic, maybe you're just saying it all comes out in the wash in terms of economic numbers for the mm -hmm. whole country, but. I, I mean, in, in, in some you know extent, I mean, I don't know, do we have states buying other states at some point, merging, right. if you will? Right. <laughs> Who knows, right? Is that whole you know giant body of water for sale, uh, you know, can we, well, we, we had a, a meteorologist on the pod and he was talking about the fresh water and we were getting into like, do we need to put up defenses like a huge wall? And like, I got to tell you, I think that, you know, buying some land on, on a giant lake like Michigan is probably not a bad idea. Uh, I, I'm not saying because there's some sort of uh, environmental disaster coming. Yeah. Uh, I just think, you know, water's good. <laughs> They're not making any more of it. Yeah, well, uh, they are, but <laughs> and then, and then my other, thought that I had back when you were saying mailbox money is where do you feel like we'll eventually get to um, like basic income feels like we're already there right of like we need this another stimulus check we need another stimulus check and then we get that one what you know in six months time we need another stimulus check to keep this thing going well they've done some research on that uh, basic minimum wages and um, you know a lot of times it hasn't 
produce the result that you want. Uh, but I think that there can be an economy that that uh, has components of that. Uh, I, I I don't want to get painted in you know liberal, conservative, yeah. or even you know defining the difference between liberal and left. Uh, you know, can, Republicans can be liberal and 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 Democrats can be liberal. But I do believe that uh, in uh, an economy and a country as as wealthy as the United States, with the resources that we have, um, that we should uh, find a way. Uh, I, I think economics is clearly the distribution of scarce resources. Yeah. Uh, uh, supply and demand and price are an excellent way to distribute resources. Uh, but then you get resources that need some sort of central distribution. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying I'm a socialist or, or yeah, anything yeah. Like that. But no, I didn't mean to get political, but just to me, it feels like we're already there, right? Like both sides of the aisle are already demanding. We need more stimulus. Yeah, so, so I think that's stimulus, right? But uh, I, I think to connect the dot of we need this permanent level of standard of living um, hasn't yet been connected. And the whole debate of, you know, right or privilege, you know, like clean air and clean water is a, is a right. Uh, certain things are a privilege and, and uh, you know. I, I feel it, like it's an easier sell for both sides. Yeah, if you said, hey, we're going to have recurring stimulus. Right. Like that's it's basically the same thing, but you just call it something maybe, different. Maybe that's a good idea. And then remove some of the free social services. Right. So right. Yeah. stimulus, but now that that free food bank is is you pay for it with, you know. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of social things uh, that, that we can talk about. And, and I, I consider myself an idea crap. Uh, tell me your idea and I'll let you know if it makes sense or not. Uh, try to stay party out of it. Uh, I like that idea yeah. crap. Yeah. yeah, let's start the party. You can, I'll nominate you. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll nominate my son maybe or someone else. <laughs> that work? My dad's thing was always, if you want to be in politics, you should be uh, automatically disqualified. <laughs> um, cool. This Is your family in politics? No, he was just, that was his view always. I'm like, anyone who wants to be in it should be disqualified. That it should oh. be like jury duty, right? You just... Right. Every now and then, like, hey, Rob, sorry, you got the jury duty. You have to be a senator for the next four years. <laughs> right, right. Um, any, any club that wants you as a member. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want to be a member. Uh, so before we go into favorites, any last thoughts on the on the global macro, macro alternative, anything we missed? Uh, no, I, I, other than I think the environment, uh, while it's a broken record, but for the, for the assets that we identify, uh, I think is is strong. For um, no, a myriad <laughs> of reasons, what what's the most esoteric, weird market that's in there? Are there weird things in there? There's not like palladium um, or anything. No, there there not weird, but... any. There's nothing that you couldn't. It's, so it's a uh, a forty act product. So yeah, that's going to be my next question. Of how did you jam all this into a, a mutual fund? Was that difficult? Um, there, there were ways of doing it. Um, it wasn't difficult. There's been a lot of predecessors who have paved the way uh, for it and a lot of instruments that are becoming more mainstream for us to express our views. Yeah. So um, it wasn't like the old days where, you know, you had to right, like, for instance, you can own VIX futures directly in the mutual fund, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And copper futures and corn futures and, right. uh, you know, gilt futures and uh, JGBs, like you can. Yeah, but you, the rules are basically you can't have 
40% of it in copper futures, right? If it's physically de delivered. Correct. Um, but that's a different, how the sausage is made podcast for a different time. So we, we mentioned the podcast, how, how long you guys been doing that and what do you do on there? So the podcast is done uh, once a week, generally Thursday or, or Friday. Uh, it features John Eckstein, uh, our CIO. We recap uh, the economic data of the week, uh, a, a little bit about what, uh, what we see coming ahead. Um, and we, uh, we've been doing it for, uh, I guess, almost a year now. Uh, it's got some good traction because it's information uh, delivered in a way that's not just a boring, today CPI came out. Uh, so that's the podcast. We also have our Aster Economic Index, which measures uh, the nowcast of the economy. It's available for free in the App Store. Yeah, uh, so, so you, the app just shows you the index? Mark, can I get the index on Bloomberg or something? So the index, uh, we have something called the AB100, which is priced on Bloomberg. Uh, the app gives you uh, some blog posts. It allows you to, to look at the index uh, where it's been. Um, it, it gives you uh, uh, a chart pack of the recent data and how it looks that make up the index. It, it's actually kind of cool. No, it's not just an app that says the index is at 42 today. Yeah, uh, it's got different. And then we can go to your website, asterim.com? Asterim.com, the app store, it's Aster Research. Uh, the mutual funds are um, astermutualfunds.com. Uh, and take a look at all, at all our products. Awesome. We'll go into your favorites now. So um, we finish up all that. Favorite Chicago pizza place? I'm a Luminati's guy, but there's another pizza place. Because when you ask that question, you got you know your five choices that everybody knows. Yeah. And the name of pizza place, we'll see if you ever heard of it called all right. Pat's Pizza. Oh, yeah, I know. On and at, on Western over here? Uh, I, I want to say it's it's on Stetson. And then there's another one called Barnaby's. I know Barnaby's too. That's up north there? Right. Yeah, I've been to both. That's good. <laughs> the uh, favorite investing book. That's not one of your own. I mean, we'd slam this guy already, but I like The Alchemy of Finance by George Soros. <laughs> All right. We didn't slam him. We were saying... He, he, hey, he had one of the best trades of all time, right? Right. So there, there's a guy that I, there's, there's, a, there's a book out um, by a guy that I uh, am not a, a huge fan of anymore. Uh, it's called The Wall Street Waltz, and it's by Ken Fisher. Oh, yeah. It's a, a relatively short book with um, uh, every, every chapter starts with a picture, and it's, <laughs> it's logical. So I, I like that one. I like that as well. Uh, favorite podcast do you consume them as well as guesting and hosting so i'm um new to podcasts uh i i really like this one called crime junkie crime uh, junkie all right yeah it's like uh you know yeah that's a big i've never gotten into the crime ones but that's a big genre i, know. I really am a big fan of um dubner and levitt uh freakonomics yeah they're great uh, i i've had you know, the honor of meeting those guys and talking with them and you know, read their books. Uh, I like the way they think. And, and I enjoy that one very much. Um, and then lastly, favorite Star Wars character. I am not a Star Wars guy. So if you, if you want to get, you got to know one of them, right? If you want to get fans of yours to send 
email, uh, I'm going to tell you two things. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Star Wars movie. Oh, Lord. Okay. But I've also <laughs> never fully seen, you might, you might need to cut this, uh, <laughs> never fully seen The Godfather. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. Right. <laughs> What have you been watching? You've been writing books and doing it. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I Goodfellas, Scarface. Okay. Uh, Any no, so no sci-fi? You have no sci-fi. I'm not a sci-fi guy. Uh, you know, I like a good story. Uh, I like funny. I like clever. Uh, you know, kind kinds of movies. Uh, you know, uh, so if you were on like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and there was name one Star Wars character, could you do it? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, Darth Vader. There you go, Darth Vader. We'll and I think it. the character, the person who played Darth yeah, Vader. Yeah, he just died. Uh, Peter May, he, I can't remember his name, but yeah. So a little trivia about myself. Um, so one of my jobs as a youth, one of them was a, a vendor at Wrigley Field. Uh, oh, wow. Really the best job you can have in America, right? Uh, you get paid in cash, you get to watch the game, uh, you pay off the beer vendor, you go you know, stop working the seventh inning and look where the cute girls are sitting. I mean, it, it's great. My roommate, when we first moved to Chicago, went to be a vendor and didn't get the job. So we still make fun of him to this day. Like, well, you had to be in the union. As a beer vendor? How hard can that be? Uh, yeah, the job. Uh, and it's competitive. My yeah. other job was an usher in a movie theater. And the movie that was playing back in the day, movies played for a very long time, was Saturday Night, uh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. And, uh, John Travolta. Right. And I obviously watched that movie a, a lot. But... We're talking about movies. There's a lot in that movie beyond just a disco movie that puts it in my top category of. <laughs> right. All right, the music. What else? It's a good story, right? The music, yeah. the characters. You know, it, it, it's it's a good story. So, uh, well, you know, my my gamut goes. You know, Deer Hunter. Uh, you know, to Saturday Night Fever. Uh, a good story is what. And now Travolta's like a fat. Santa on a Capital One commercial. Have you seen those? No, but you know, hey, it happens to us all, right? It's pretty good. He's telling Samuel L. Jackson, he's like, he's like, I've been good. He's like, have you stopped swearing? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Rob, this has been fun. Hey, um, you forgot you forgot the the hot dog question, right? If you ask somebody okay. about Chicago pizza, okay, your favorite Chicago hot dog. Well, hot dogs is no longer so. You know, I'm a Vienna guy and a rosemary seated bun and i really like the wiener circle ah the wiener circle is the best um their covid signs were pretty funny did you see some of those on online i did not but i mean it, you know far be it for them not to be yeah you know the whole story right you know milkshake and oh uh, yeah you walk yeah. in you get you know you, you get insulted yeah it's it's a must stop chicago visit for anyone who's coming yeah um so yeah, let's get together when COVID ends. Um, we'll have some fun. Thanks for being on. Great. Thanks, Thanks Rob. You've been listening to The Derivative. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at RCMAlt visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at rcmalts.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you.